This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show, 503 Eastern Time, 203 on the West Coast, 633. If you are one of our very boisterous viewers in Newfoundland and Labrador, I welcome you nonetheless. You know who you are. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Striving for irreverence, but never irrelevance. I think that's a very key distinction and sometimes autocorrect tries to make Make a different point. Now, this was just about a very different show of me uh, just yelling and screaming and ignoring the show entirely because like 35 milliseconds before the show began, I almost knocked over my coffee, which I had the uh, very uh, poor foresight to put in a spot that I don't usually put my coffee. So I'm going to uh, very gently, this is live for you here right now. I'm going to move my coffee over there where I normally put it. Uh, but if you do hear me screaming at some point, it's because I uh, made some other faux pas and spilled it all over myself. And then you get uh, a comedy version of the show because what's better than human suffering. Apparently, uh, if you ask lawmakers in the last few years, nothing. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about a few different things on the show today. I want to get to the latest update in, I, I don't like gating things, but China gate is just colloquially what I'll call the uh, rapidly unfolding and expanding China scandal in which Justin Trudeau finds himself. I also want to spend a bit of time on this program talking about the big tech regulations that are Coming down the pipeline now, and there's been, let me be clear, a lot of attention on C11, not as much on C18. Google is fighting back, and whatever you think of big tech companies, and I think there are a lot of issues to take with them, I think they're the ones that we should be siding with in this latest standoff. So that's going to be something I'll talk about in a couple of moments' time here. Actually, let's just get to it now, because the one thing that is really at the essence of C18 is that the Liberal government is trying to say that tech companies should subsidize media companies. They're trying to say that uh, when Google shows you search results and they have a little top stories bar that shows you all of the things that, oh, I don't know, the National Post has done or CBT News has done, that that is tantamount to theft of journalist content and that they need to pay their fair share for using or stealing that content. And when you say it out loud, it sounds rather absurd. And I, I'm not even trying to spin it in an uncharitable light here, because that's essentially what the government is claiming, that tech companies are stealing content from journalists. The same goes to Facebook and Twitter. So when you log on to uh, Facebook and you see, oh, what do you know? Uh, True North has written this story and uh, that looks interesting. I'm going to click on that. 
they have this very distorted view that that was not an exchange that True North may have loved, that we may have posted that link because we wanted you to see it and wanted people to click on it, but rather that Facebook is profiting off of the work of journalists. Uh, and every time this claim has come up, it's been clear, and social media companies have showed their numbers on this, that media consumption, like news consumption, is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of their overall usage and revenue. I mean, I, people in the media industry tend to have this uh, overly inflated sense of, of self-worth when they talk about how important they are and the work that they do on a regular basis. In reality, most people would be just as happy watching family feud highlights and cat memes when they log onto social media and not perhaps learning about uh, federal politics or the China scandal or whatever Joe Biden said or anything like that. Most people do not actually live and breathe this stuff like I do and like many of you do and like we all may wish the general population did. So the thing that I find interesting here is that there is just a fundamental overestimation of the value of news content to social media companies and to tech companies here. And that's really what's undergirding Bill C-10, which I, I think is a, a terribly, terribly bad bill. And the thing that is particularly noteworthy here is that it's been tried elsewhere, notably in Australia. And Facebook then was the one that really took this tough position. And Facebook said, we are not going to let you share news links on our platform. And eventually the government backed off a little bit of the bill and Facebook backed off of its protest for whatever reason. And I've never actually gotten to the bottom of this. Uh, when this happened, my website, which doesn't have much going on because I, I don't use I don't update it regularly. It's not like my Substack, but my website, andrewlawton.ca, .ca, as in like a Canadian domain name, was somehow viewed as Australian by Facebook, and I don't know how, I don't know why, but you, I could not share links to my own website while this was going on, and it was particularly unfortunate because I had been like a big supporter of what Facebook had done. And I said, yeah, you know, power to Facebook, good for this protest. And then I'm like, okay, I'm with you guys, but can you let me like, you know, post stuff on my Facebook again? And uh, eventually I was able to. So uh, be careful what you wish for is, is the line here. Brian Passifume in the National Post had a column where he was actually not as a journalist, but as a Google user, one of the ones that's in this now test group that Google is doing in Canada of blocking access to news content. So he can now actually not even search for his own content, his own written work using Google, unless he logs out of his account or opens up an incognito browser or something like that. I didn't get the specifics, but he basically is now blocked from doing his job as a journalist because Google is making its play against the government now. Now, it's easy to look at Google and say, well, you know, these big tech companies, they censor people, they manipulate what we see through the algorithms and all of that. And fair, fair enough. I don't expect anyone to whitewash big tech, but right now we're talking talking about big tech versus big government. And uh, even if I don't like either of them in different contexts, when the two are together, I'm going to side with big tech. I'm going to side, at the very least, against big government. And really what's happening here is the government is trying to say that big tech needs to subsidize big media. And 
why this is at all within the purview of the government or big tech to subsidize is a, another discussion entirely, but we'll certainly touch on themes of it here. And I want to welcome to the show, and it's actually been, I should say, Mia Culpa, far too long that I have not had this man on, and there's no reason for it. It's just because uh, C11 has uh, come and gone, C10 has come and gone, and, and I've wanted to have Peter Menzies on for quite some time, and uh, we figured out uh, that we should not wait any further. He joined us now the former vice chair of the CRTC or a former vice chair and also a, a researcher fellow with the McDonald Laurier Institute. Peter, good to talk to you, sir. Thanks for coming on today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for uh, choosing me. So, <laughs> well, no, it's it's uh, it's it's more more magical than that. Your work obviously rises to the top on, on this because uh, relatively few people are speaking out about this, at, at least at the outset. It's gotten a little bit more uh, now in, in the terms of, of people speaking up. But let's just start with the fundamental premise here. Uh, you know, my, my summation of this is that government is essentially looking at tech companies and saying, you now have to subsidize media companies. But there, there's a, a weird sort of double speak going on here because when government puts forward a bill like C-18, they say, you're stealing content. That's effectively the, the claim. And then when Google says, okay, we're gonna you know, no longer show that content, it's, well, you're blocking content. Well, well, which is it? Are they are they stealing content that's not theirs to use or are they blocking content that is supposed to be on the platform? Nobody is stealing anything from anybody. Uh, traditional media have lost something. They've lost a lot. They've lost advertising and they've lost it because of a technological revolution pretty much on the same scale as the invention of the printing press. So um, the an industry that survived for 200 years or so, newspapers uh, can no longer produce profitably with their, uh, uh, in the current environment, right? The, what happened is tech came, uh, the internet came along, all kinds of things happened. Kijiji and Craigslist stole all the, uh, adver all the classified advertising. Then Facebook launched and other, other people launched and that's where people went to have fun. And advertisers will go where people's eyeballs are and that's where people's eyeballs are. So uh, traditional media lost a lot of advertising revenue. And basically they, they, they approached the government and said, we lost our, avid, our, our advertising revenue. Somebody must have stolen it from us, right? And the government said, who has your advertising revenue? And they said, big tech, and they said, we'll go and get it back for you, right? Which is, you know, I mean, this analogy is used a lot, but it's, but it's, it's the one that works for people. It's, it's like telling automobile companies that they have to subsidize horse and carriages, right? Something new has come along that is better. Now, that said, government may wish to um, declare journalism to be a public good of some kind and try to make some sort of arrangement and that sort of stuff. And, Tech companies, you know, there are issues with them. They are big, they dominate things, and uh, they may have too much market power for media to be able to get a fair deal. That's worth looking at. But in terms of anybody stealing something, nobody's stolen something. In terms of Google, Google's experiments with what are we gonna do if this bill passes? Um, and basically what happened is if I typed Andrew Lawton into, in, into the search tool, um, a whole bunch of Andrew Lawtons would come up, but True North wouldn't, right? So, so no news links would, 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 would associated with Andrew Lawton would show up. Uh, your articles wouldn't show up and that sort of stuff. Your, 
your LinkedIn page might, if you have one, um, and that sort of stuff. But here's the solution for Brian Pasifum. When I read his piece, I thought, use another search engine. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and he, like, he sort of gets to that point near the end of it, you know, because he, he wasn't actually, I was hoping he would come out with this really kind of big political point, but he made more of a human point in his thing, which is that we become far too reliant on this. And, and you know, I'm a Chrome user generally, but we all forget that there are other browsers out there. We forget there are other search engines out there, even if Google yeah, we is do. now we do. the, the mean, verb that we use as a stand-in for to search in a search engine. Yeah, and, the, and it's a good reminder um, for that because Google may have to go down that road. Right. And then a lot of it has to do with the structure of uh, Bill C-18. Uh, Google uh, did roughly the same sort of thing. It's not perfectly analogous, but it, it was a copyright uh, legislation matter in Spain. Um, and they did not link to news for eight years in Spain. That issue just got resolved last summer um, after Spain made some adjustments to their, I believe it's their copyright laws. Uh, Chechia, uh, which most of us know as the che Czech Republic, um, recently lost the benefit of Google search um, as of December with a, a similar sort of dispute. So, um, you know, if people are worried they're bluffing, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But um, if the uh, if the bill goes through as it is, they will probably have to make a decision. And some of that decision will be, well, if we get out of the news search business in Canada, how much business are we actually losing? Uh, how many how many users are we going to lose to Bing or other search engines? You know, and that might not be a bad thing when you think about it. I mean, Google's got about close to ninety percent of the market. Um, if they if they stop doing something that caused somebody else to get a little bit more of the market, that might be a good thing. Apple's working on a search tool, so it's not the end of the world. When when you bring up Google, I, it's it's odd that I instinctively put it in a somewhat different category, and not wrongfully. I mean, it's a, a private corporation. They offer products. People use those products, and uh, so on. And I use many of them myself. And um, you know, Facebook and Twitter, though, are, are more. Are, we we define Facebook and Twitter more as being user generated. I post, you read. You post, I read, and so on. Google, we we almost view uh, as something that is a public good, and and. You know, for example, a Gmail address, which most people have or many people have or some variation of it, you don't own that. Someone could theoretically at any time say you don't get to have your email address anymore and, and shut it off and, and you would have very little recourse. But but it is still at the end of the day a private company and, and not a public good. And uh, it's right now, despite how powerful and wealthy it is, being forced to do something that the government wants to do, which is subsidize Canadian news media. Yeah, well, I mean, it is a public, it's a public company, it's a, a private company, a publicly traded, right? It has shareholders. Mm -hmm. um, it will behave, it, they are rational people running, uh, and they will behave rationally and in the best interest of their shareholders. Uh, this bill, the way it's written with, with, there's no cap on it, right? There's no, there's no height on it. If somebody could probably go to Google and said, hey, this will cost you a hundred million bucks, they might go, hmm, do a little math. Okay. Right. There's no more. Right. hundred million bucks and we're done. Right. They might do that. But the problem with Bill C-18 is there's no limit. Right. And some of the some of the people expecting to get cash, um, you know, some of the broadcasters particularly have very, very high expectations. And a lot of the news companies have a very flattering view of their popularity online. <laughs> um, it's difficult for them to understand that 
actually nobody really makes very much money if any money on them right i bet you you could probably get one of those companies facebook or google to give 100 percent of the money they make uh, either from the data um, that they gather from the uh, from from the postings or from any advertising that they generate themselves because all they do is send people to the company's web page right if if the national post posts something on facebook people click on that link and they go to they go to the national post page right so but they could probably give them 100% of the money there and if the government is really that it can, the government can do a couple of things it can come up with some sort of reasonable accommodation for this right if nobody that i've read in in the big tech side is saying no way are we going to do something they seem to recognize that they've got some reputation management to do here they, they 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 didn't want to kill journalism it's kind of like oops you know like sorry guys um we didn't mean to kill you um and we think you know we don't want to wear that so they're they're trying to do something to help but you know if the government can behave reasonably with c18 or just not even do a c18 and come up with something else come up with what i've suggested the country needs is really a national uh policy for news organizations there's nothing going on right now that talks like that the bill c18 will what it'll end up doing um according to the senate leader when he introduced bill c18 in the senate he said this will cover 35 percent of newsroom costs in canada okay so great what do we get out of that we get a news industry that owes that has is 35% of its newsroom costs dependent on offshore monster tech companies, right? Mm -hmm. And it has that. And only a handful of them at that. That's right. And it has that thanks to the government. What are the two biggest threats in our, that people would see in their lives to their independence and freedom? Big tech and big government, right? And all of a sudden you've got your media dependent on both. So you need to come up with some kind of structure and government policy can be involved in this that makes sure you have an independent media thriving and adapting to this technological revolution we're going through. It's gonna be, and you're gonna to have to accept that some are gonna die, right? Some of the old standards like many have, the, you know, the Moose Jaw, Moose Jaw newspaper died five years ago. But you can, you know, if you if you look search for news in Moose Jaw, you can find four websites delivering news. The news hasn't gone away. The platform that delivered it went away because it wasn't a good fit for the 21st century. People I find, and, and this gets into a bit of a different discussion, but people are very selective about uh, what uh, things they choose to sentimentalize. I mean, even if you look at the early days of the Internet, there are a lot of companies that uh, were part of that first wave, Trailblazers, your MySpaces, your Napsters, that are now nothing. And, you know, obviously that's more on a micro level, but uh, it's not the responsibility of the successful companies to say, well, you know what, we, we built off of them, so we have to keep them going. And uh, no one seems to, to want to talk about or have a solution for how do we make a new business model 
that is not dependent on all of these externalities. And I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not, I'm not saying that individual outlets have not done it. But as a, a sort of that macro level, the comments that we see from the National News Media Council, they're not talking about innovation in the least. No, and I mean, if, if you read Facebook's response after 12 months of, the, of, uh, of them paying out in Australia, they're very unhappy. They feel like innovation has ground to a halt. And that's, the, that's one of the problems with this too, is you're not moving into the future. 500 um, news organizations have died in Canada over the last 10 to 15 years, right? 200 have, more than 200 have started up, right? So your focus, you know, it's sad. Don't get me wrong. I was a newspaper man for 30 years, right? It's sad when these old things die. They were, you know, they were wonderful in their day, but, you know, all things must pass, right? So your focus should be on the next thing, not the last thing. And if you start passing legislation to prop up failed business models that never will succeed in, in, in a new tech environment, you're doing it, um, you're causing harm to the new guys who are trying to start off, to the innovators. And, and that's what we need is ingenuity and innovation to build new ways of doing things and platforms uh, to create news. Because there's actually, there's not a lot of shortage of news. You know, there's, you know, there's, because of the internet, we can access news from all over the place. There's a shortage of local news, the old weekly newspaper that we used to have. But you know, a lot of those places too, they have radio stations that now have websites where you can go, you know, when you want to go and find out your local news and that sort of stuff. And maybe entrepreneurs will start up. I mean, I've, I know of some small towns where some of them are pretty cheesy, but there's still a way to get the news out, you know, for, 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 for things around. But that's what the government should be focused on. As for if it's worried about search engines, if the government's that concerned and it sees it as a public good, why doesn't the government start one? Oh gosh, that you know, I, I everything else they do is like the reverse Midas touch. So I don't know if we'd want to use the uh, you know search.gc.ca, uh, but uh, stranger things have happened. Peter Menzies, always a pleasure to uh, read your commentary. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks very much, Andrew. You have a great time. All right, yourself as well, Peter Menzies. You can catch up with him at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and he tends to pop up in, in many other venues as well. You know, I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. I, I mean, just to put a bow on it and not a, a nice looking bow by any stretch. There's a wholesale assault on Internet freedom right now that this government is responsible for. And, and you can combine Bill C-18 with Bill C-11 with the former Bill C-36, which will be at some point coming back. And I think there's a private member's bill from, I believe, believe it or not, I think it's from Kevin Vuong. Uh, that tries to do what C36 was going to do. And that's the one that talks about online hate speech and forcing social media companies to take things down and, and all of that. And, and all of these things the government is saying are about modernizing. But it's very peculiar, perhaps not actually, but it's very noteworthy that government views modernization as centralization. The government views increasing its own control, its own authority, expanding its authority is part and parcel of modernizing. And, and I don't think modernization needs to be that, and I don't think it should be that. Certainly when we're talking about the internet, which was created to be a decentralized, more grassroots, and if I can say it, populist uh, access to information that did not have to be streamlined. To, to use you know, Pierre Polyev's old line about the gatekeepers, why are we gatekeeping the 
internet even more than it already is. So uh, we'll talk about that more as it comes, but I'm decreasingly, opt I'm never really optimistic about this, but I'm an increasingly uh, pessimist on this. I mentioned Pierre Polyev just there. I said I was going to get into this yesterday, and then I sort of ran out of time, so didn't get into it here. And I, I don't have a lot to say because it's now almost a week old. But what happened last week was Christine Anderson, the German member of the European Parliament, was doing a tour of Canada. By all accounts, she was selling out at every venue she went to in Alberta and Ontario, even in Quebec. And the uh, meetings she had at some point along the tour involved three conservative members of parliament, Colin Carey, Leslin Lewis, and Dean Allison. I've uh, spoken to all three of them. I don't know Colin Carey as well, but I've had Leslin Lewis on the show a number of times. I've uh, followed and tweeted back and forth with Dean Allison. And all three of them have been fairly outspoken on COVID mandates, certainly Leslie Lewis. So uh, Christine Anderson, who rose to fame for her rejection of Justin Trudeau's heavy-handed crackdown on the truckers, is obviously going to want to sit down with members of parliament, fellow legislators that have a similar, if not identical, outlook as she does on this issue. Now, this is deliberately a charitable interpretation of events. And I, I'm going to talk about it this way, and then I'm going to flip to the less charitable side, and, and you can decide where you land on this. But I don't think, and I could be wrong, that Christine Anderson knew every single view that Leslie Lewis held when they sat down for that lunch. I don't think that uh, Christine Anderson knew every single view that Dean Allison had, that Colin Carey had. I think there was an opportunity for these two people that knew they were on the same side on COVID mandates to sit down. Now, when I interviewed Christine Anderson on this show a few weeks ago, I did not know huge amounts of information about her. I knew those viral clips that uh, sh were shared online, such as her rebuking Justin Trudeau in Brussels. I had done my own research after we booked the interview and saw uh, some of these claims that, uh, you know, the AFD, her party in Germany, was uh, called an extremist group by the German government. I looked into it and I saw in my preliminary research no evidence that she was racist Islamophobic or anti-Semitic. Now, I have still seen no evidence that Christine Anderson is racist, Islamophobic, or anti-Semitic. And the claim by Pierre Polyev in that statement that was first reported by Brian Lilly that she was and that uh, she should never should have come to Canada is capitulating to the left. It's absolutely capitulating to the left. It feeds into the attacks that people are making about the Conservatives and was unaccompanied by anything resembling evidence. Now, before I go any further, there are some people that are saying, oh, but that wasn't Pierre Polyev. It was a staffer. Okay, let's pause here. This is the way political communications works. You rarely text. In fact, you, you know, never just text the leader on their personal phone. You go through spokespeople who will give statements, which are oftentimes for attribution to themselves and oftentimes are for attribution to the politician for which that staffer works. Now, in this particular case, I don't know if Pierre Polyev wrote the statement himself. I don't know if someone else wrote it and he saw it and approved it. But by Brian Lilly's reporting and other outlets reporting, it was for attribution to Pierre Polyev. So if it wasn't him who said it, someone should be fired in his office and he himself uh, should be coming out and clarifying. But I don't think that's the case. His deputy leader, uh, Melissa Lansman, has tweeted out a screenshot of the statement herself. 
And again, I am not going to endorse 100% of what Christine Anderson has said and done because I don't know 100% of what she's said and done. But the idea that we think accepting these premises, which are often putting people in the least charitable light in bad faith, will ever help conservatives. If we think that's going to happen, you are so sorely mistaken. How many people since this denunciation of Christine Anderson have said, yeah, you know what? I'm really glad the conservatives took it seriously. No, you look on Twitter and everyone's still saying the conservatives meet with Nazis. The conservatives meet with racists. They say Leslie Lewis, the black woman member of parliament is a racist. And Justin Trudeau, the guy that's done blackface so many times, he doesn't know how many times he's done it, is not. He has the moral high ground. Conservatives are the dirty, racist, neo-Nazi, anti-Semitic troglodytes. It's almost as though the critics to the right do not care about facts. It's almost as though they do not care about reality because they do not live in reality. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservatives are never going to get a pass. Conservatives are never going to have their honest, good faith explanation of things accepted because you cannot prove to someone that you are not a racist, Nazi, homophobe, Islamophobe when they believe you are. And they just look for pieces of evidence and data points they can use to make that point. All of the people accusing Leslie Lewis and Dean Allison and the conservatives of being Nazis right now do not believe that they're Nazis because they saw that picture of Christine Anderson with the three members of parliament. No, they believe it because they hate conservatives. They hate people on the right. And the three of them could have met with the chief rabbi of Israel, and they're still going to be called anti-Semites. They could have met with the entire African Union and said, we love everything you guys are doing. We're going to give you money. We think cultural diversity is great. They're still going to be called racist. The criticisms are not in good faith. And people will say, well, are you saying that conservatives are trapped? Absolutely, I am. Because unless you start confronting the premises you're always going to be beholden to the conclusions. The premises are that Christine Anderson is a racist Nazi, therefore by meeting with her, yes, it's absolutely terrible that the conservatives uh, did that. So you have to challenge the premise. You either say, well, hang on, we didn't meet with her. Well, that's not true, they did. You say, hang on, she's not a Nazi, which I don't believe there's any evidence saying she is a Nazi. And you can also say, hold on, we should be meeting with all kinds of people. Why are you telling us that we shouldn't meet with people that have raised issues? And isn't it coincidental that a woman who embarrassed Justin Trudeau on the world stage is the one who's getting denounced and condemned by Justin Trudeau for uh, having the, the audacity, the temerity to sit down with a few conservative members of parliament? This is a distraction from issues that matter a great deal right now. And I, I like I said, I, I agree with a lot of what Pierre Polyev is doing. I think this was a, a tremendous miscalculation on his part, and it has not helped him one bit. No one who was angry about the meeting is less angry now, 
and all he's done is alienated the people that thought Christine Anderson might have had something worth listening to. And which category you're in, you can decide for yourselves. I got a little ranty there, and I don't apologize for it, because every now and then you need to get a little bit ranty, and I hope you uh, have been okay to indulge me on that. I did want to talk just a little bit in the remaining few minutes of the program about what's happening in the China file today. This is the scandal that keeps on unfolding. I don't want to say keeps on giving because, uh, well, basically the Chinese Politburo is the gift that keeps on giving to the liberals. Uh, this one was great that they wanted to build a statue to Mao in Montreal. And that I think was even a little too on the nose for Justin Trudeau. He said, okay, hang on. I'm okay with, uh, you know, you guys mucking around in the elections, but don't, don't, don't make us look at the statue of Mao in Montreal. I mean, Montreal wouldn't have liked that at all because it would have, uh, well, violated probably Bill 21 or something. But anyway, so the thing that's fascinating here is the national security advisor to Justin Trudeau, Jody Thomas, who has become a bit of a mainstay in Canadian politics with uh, her comments on the Freedom Convoy, her comments on all sorts of other things lately. But uh, Jody Thomas was testifying before Parliament, and she acknowledged that CSIS gave the Trudeau government and gave Trudeau multiple briefings on election interference. How many times was the Prime Minister briefed about Beijing's interference in the 2019 and 2021 elections. Uh, the Prime Minister would have been briefed on foreign interference in the elections multiple times between 2019 and 2021 and 2022. Uh, we will endeavor to get you those dates. Can you, so you will undertake to provide the dates and the agencies and those involved in briefing the Prime Minister? We will uh, endeavor to get the dates for Every you. instance that he was briefed in respect of Beijing's election interference. I will do my best. But again, I was not in this job at the time. Okay, so that's fairly specific. She's saying, I, I'm going to need to get the dates to you and we'll, you know, send those over by fax, you know, at your, the earliest convenience, maybe, uh, you know, 2037. Uh, but yeah, multiple briefings, multiple briefings Justin Trudeau got on election interference. Now, uh, this struck me as a little odd at first because I recall Justin Trudeau denying he was given any such briefings. There was this comment in the House of Commons not that long ago. The question is, has he been briefed since November 7th about whether or not a foreign power funneled money to Canadian federal candidates, yes or no. The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, as I have said a number of times in this House, to this moment, I have not, in all the briefings I've received, uh, there has never been information around candidates receiving money from China in the 2011 election, uh, in, sorry, in the 2019 election or in the 2021 elections. We have uh, independent public servants who are engaged to oversee the integrity of the elections. They confirm the, the elections uh, did uh, complete, uh, complete themselves with full integrity. Well, that's a little bit clever. Also, a very specific answer. He said something very similar at uh, this press conference as well, which I believe was in November, if memory serves. Uh, our government has always taken very seriously the responsibility of protecting Canadians, of working with our security agencies uh, to do everything we can to keep Canadians and our institutions uh, safe against foreign interference. I have asked my officials to examine these media reports and uh, give all the possible answers, everything they can, 
to the Parliamentary Committee uh, that's looking into this. But let me be clear. I do not have any information, nor have I been briefed, on any federal candidates receiving any money from China. Again, an oddly specific answer. I have never been briefed on candidates receiving money from China. He's not saying I've never been briefed on interference, although in context of the questions, that was how people it took his answers at the time. Uh, he said, no, 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 no one's ever briefing on that one specific thing. So it would strike me that there's a little bit of wordplay there and that odd that CSIS and all of its many briefings, its multiple briefings, I didn't mention that, yeah, there were some financial resources going towards candidates here. I wonder if he was briefed on the donation to the Trudeau Foundation. So far, he has not answered answered that. So I, I asked in the title of the show yesterday if this would be the end of Trudeau. And I, I cautioned that uh, we have had political career ending scandals from this government, like the Agacon Island vacation, like the SNC-Lavalin scandal, like the We Charity scandal. And all of them have proven to uh, have reduced uh, Trudeau's exterior, not to the shine of blackface, but to a hard nonstick Teflon coating. So I, I don't believe we should say at face value that this would be any different. In fact, the NDP uh, would probably love to have a tight relationship with China, although even they are coming out right now and saying we need a public inquiry, maybe because they know a public inquiry is going to take years. It's going to release an ambiguous report, and they will still be able to keep the supply and confidence agreement. Uh, you, you're not allowed to call it a coalition government. This supply and confidence agreement going until the next election would be anyway. So I wouldn't even hold out too much optimism that even the NDP is ready to get serious with the Liberals on this. Uh, more of this in the days and weeks ahead. You can catch all of that at True North, TNC.news. And if you are minded to support the work that we do, which, as you heard from uh, Peter Menzies, we've got to get some innovation in the media sector. So True North is trying to do that. We are not supported by government. We are supported by people that believe in the work we do. So if you count yourself in that group and are able to share a few bucks a month or even as a one-off, you can head on over to donate.tnc.news. That does it for me today. Back in just a couple days' time with more. This is True North and The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.